Section 15 of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston, A Story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, by James Otis. Section 15. Training Day. I must tell you of our training day in the month of May, after Master Roger Williams had fled into the wilderness to escape the wrath of our people, which he had aroused. And I am setting down what happened on that particular day, because of its being the largest and most exciting training ever held in Boston. So everyone says. Susan believes training day should come oftener than four times a year, so that we young people may get some idea of what gay life is like in the old countries, where they make festivals of Christmas and other saints' days. It does truly seem as if we might see our soldiers perform quite often, for it is a most inspiring spectacle, and especially was it on last training day, when, so father says, there were upwards of seven hundred men marching back and forth across the common, in a manner which at times was really terrifying because of their fierce appearance when fully armed. Imagine, if you can, a row of booths along the common, in which are for sale ground nuts, packages of newt kick, sweet cakes, pumpkin bread roasted brown and spread with syrup made from maple sap, together with dainties of all kinds, lately brought over from England. Between these booths and the water are many tents, which have been set up, that the people of quality may entertain their friends therein with toothsome food and sweet waters. The middle of the common, and a long space at either end, is kept clear of idle ones, that the soldiers may exercise at arms, and these do not appear until the onlookers are in their places. Then we hear a flourish of trumpets, the rolling of drums, and from the direction of the neck comes our army a mighty array of seven hundred or more men, all armed and equipped as the law directs. When this vast body of warlike men have marched into the vacant space, they are drawn up in line. There is another flourish of trumpets, together with the rolling of drums, and Master Cotton comes out from the tent, which has been set up for the use of the governor and his assistants, to offer a prayer. On this day, moved by the sight of the great throng, Master Cotton prayed long and fervently, whereat some of the younger soldiers, having not the fear of God in their hearts, pulled long faces one to another, or shifted about uneasily on their feet, as if weary with long standing. And I trembled, lest the governor, seeing such levity, might rebuke them openly, which would be a great disgrace at such a time. When Master Cotton was done with praying, the soldiers began to march here and there in many ways, until one's eyes were confused with watching them, and then came the volleys, as the men shot straight over the heads of the people. But father says no one need fear such warlike work, for there were no bullets in the guns. Of course I understood that he must needs know whether this be true or not, else he would have not spoken it and yet I could not but shudder when so many guns were fired at one time, while the smoke of powder in the air was most painful to the eyes. After the soldiers had marched back and forth in the most ferocious manner possible until noon, they were allowed a time for rest, 
and then it was that those who had set up tents entertained their friends at table with stores upon stores of dainties of every kind. SHOOTING FOR A PRIZE I have heard that Sir Harry Vane declared our soldiers presented a very fine front, whatever that might be, and he is not backward about saying that even the king himself has no more warlike appearing men in his army. All of which is surely true, for Sir Harry, being the son of a privy councillor, must have seen his majesty's troops many a time. After all the people had feasted, each in his own fashion, and the soldiers had been refreshed at the expense of the town, the marching was begun again, to be continued in a manner like to make one's head swim, until the governor gave the signal that the shooting at a target might commence, when it was that the guns were loaded with real bullets. On this day it was Sir Harry who gave the prize to be shot for, which was a doublet of velvet trimmed with lace, the value of which, so father declares, is not less than five times as great as any prize that has ever been offered on training day in Boston. Susan and I were eager to know who won it, but before the matter was settled, mother insisted it was time for us to go home, because of the behavior of some of the soldiers, being none of the best, after they have done with the training. However, we saw the doublet, and marked well the pattern of the lace. Therefore, if the winner wears it on the street, there will be no question as to our knowing it again. The training was a most enjoyable spectacle, even though Susan and I were frightened at times, that it seemed as if our hearts were really in our mouths, and when we followed Mother home on that afternoon, it was with the belief that our town of Boston, although not as old as Jamestown, Plymouth, or Salem, had grown, both in numbers and fashion, far beyond any other settlement in this new world. LECTURE DAY My mother believes it would be better if training day were done away with entirely, for she says we spend far too much time in the pursuit of frivolity, when we have no less than one lecture day in each week. It must be that she is in the right, for father has much the same opinion, and declares a stop must be put to so many lectures, which but gives a convenient excuse for indolent people, who should be at work on the plantations or in the houses, to go gadding about in the town. You must know that Thursday is the day when we listen to lectures by some of the preachers, or those among the magistrates who have the gift of speech, and this has been the custom since the first year we came here. In the early days the lecture hour was in the forenoon, but at the end of three years, after Boston was become a town, those in authority over us passed a law that the lecture should not begin until one of the clock in the afternoon, and this was done in order that the people might not have an excuse to spend the entire day in idleness. I cannot see, however, that any more work is done on Thursdays now than before the new law was made. For as soon as breakfast is finished, and the houses have been set in order, nearly every one walks on the streets, this pleasure being forbidden on Sabbath days, until it is time to gather at the church. Our magistrates also tried to make the rule that no minister or other person should lecture more often than once in every two weeks, in order that we might have less of such diversion. But no heed is given to this law. 
for I myself have heard Master Cotton speak to the people no less than twice on every Thursday, and this in addition to lectures by other preachers. If father were one of the magistrates, mother would do all she might to have the hour of the meeting set back to the morning, for she believes it is wrong to make the forenoon a time for the punishing of evildoers, as has come to be the custom. PUNISHMENT FOR EVILDOERS Now when we go about to mingle with the people, it is impossible not to stop here or there, when one of the constables is whipping an idle fellow through the streets, laying the lashes on his bare back with such force that the blood follows nearly every blow. Then again, it is not often that one can pass the post at the corner of Prison Lane, without seeing some wrongdoer chained there as punishment for striking one of the people, and the cage wherein are kept men and women who have offended against the laws is seldom empty on a Thursday. The prison itself is a dreary-looking place, although it is not quite so very different from the church. But somehow its barred windows make the shivers run up and down my back, and I always hurry past it with as much speed as possible. Most likely, there are as many bad people in the other towns of this new world as in Boston, but it surely seems to Susan and me as if we had among us all those in America who delight in breaking the laws. Of all the punishments which are inflicted here, I think the most cruel is that of sentencing a man to wear, as long as he may live, a halter around his neck, so that every one may see it. For thus is the wrongdoer forced to shame himself during every hour of the day, and especially on Thursdays, when he must not stand not less than two hours during the forenoon on the steps of the church. It is on lecture day that one may see the latest notices put up on the church, together with the announcements of those who intend to be married, and Susan and I have great pleasure in reading these, for then are we aware of anything important about to take place. Of course, there are times when we are not so well pleased at being forced to sit still five or six long hours, listening to the preacher, or that who feels a call to speak during the lecture time. But if we fail to do so, we should not be allowed to go on the street, wheresoever we please. Therefore, I hope that Mother will not be able to have the lecture hour changed to the morning. End of section 15